good to be with you here this morning. Uh, I'm filling in for Pastor Mark, who is out, and praise God, he is with uh, his his daughter Andrea, and uh, they just had a baby, and so uh, so grateful for that. Baby's doing well, mother's doing well, and I know they're soaking that up. So uh, just a congratulations to their family, and uh, looking forward to them coming back. So we'll be praying for traveling mercies as they come back in a little bit. Um, but if you don't know, my name is Benjamin Rhodes. I'm the head of school here at Linwood Christian Academy, but also serve on the pastoral staff of Linwood Baptist Church. And so uh, it's a joy to be able to bring the Word of God to you today. And as I always say when I go to preach, uh, preaching the Word of God is, is a weighty thing. It's not something that we should ever take lightly. Uh, rightly dividing the Word of Truth is, is a command from God, and, and I pray that that's what happens here today. So we're going to be in the book of Isaiah uh, specifically in chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to go ahead and pull those out. Go ahead and get to Isaiah 6. There's going to be a lot of passages we hit today, so uh, you may want to turn with me, but if you can't, that's okay. Um, I've cheated and I have all mine marked if you see all these little tabs, so it's okay. Uh, but we'll, we'll be hitting a lot of scripture today. Uh, but we're going to discuss the holiness of God, what that means, uh, what that looks like, and our response to that, right? We don't always know what the word holy means, but we're going to try to define that as we jump in here. The longest serving president of the United States was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He was the younger distant cousin to Teddy Roosevelt, and FDR was elected to four terms as president. During his tenure, he led the nation through the Great Depression. He sought to support Great Britain during World War II and eventually entered into the war after the Japanese bombing of Pearl Harbor in December of 1941. Many look fondly upon the late president because of his calm demeanor, steadfast decision-making, and his leadership during turbulent times. However, on April 12, 1945, FDR died of a cerebral hemorrhage. The nation was shocked at the loss of the president. As we know, Harry Truman came in after, and, and the war actually ended just a few months later. But the nation was shocked to its core, shook to its core, when they realized that FDR had passed away. You're probably sitting there this morning saying, what does that have to do with the holiness of God? Well, as we look at the very beginning of Isaiah chapter 6, what we see is the first thing that Isaiah says there is, in the year that King Uzziah died. Isaiah finds himself in a situation where there's some turmoil, mourning of the late king. Because Uzziah had reigned, and he was a pretty good king. He wasn't the best. He wasn't a David, right? But he also wasn't evil and wicked. He didn't do all the things of these other kings who, who may have followed in, in the footsteps of worshiping other gods and all these things. No, he was a pretty good king. But he also ruled for over 50 years. The stability that that brought to the nation of Judah. There was prosperity there, right? There was safety. There was a sense of comfort, saying that we're going to be okay. Because King Uzziah has been here a long time, and he knows what he's doing, right? But he dies, and the nation is shocked what to do. And yet during this time of sadness and difficulty, what we see is that the Lord reveals himself and his glory and his holiness to Isaiah. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start reading in verse 1 of chapter 6. 
says this. And the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. And the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices. And the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. And in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who will I send? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. A lot of times we want to start, stop there with this passage because it's like, man, that sounds really good. Here I am. Send me. But it doesn't stop there. We're going to finish up. Verse 9. And he replied, talking about the Lord. Go, say to these people, keep listening but do not understand. Keep looking but do not perceive. Make the minds of these people dull. Deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Understand with their minds. Turn back and be healed. Then I said, until when, Lord? And he replied, until cities lie in ruins without inhabitants. Houses are without people. The land is ruined and desolate. And the Lord drives the people far away, leaving great emptiness in the land. Though a tenth will remain in the land, it will be burned again like the terebinth or the oak that leaves a stump when filled. The holy seed is the stump. May God bless the reading of his word. So we're going we're gonna to touch on four points here this morning regarding God's holiness, our response, and then the call that God places on our life because of that. But number one, what we're going to see is that God is holy, right? And you're sitting there and you're going, okay, yeah, we get that. We understand. The Bible says it all over the place. But sometimes we have to take a step back and say, okay, but what does that mean? What does it actually mean to be holy? The Evangelical Dictionary of Theology says, holiness denotes the separateness or otherness of God from all his creation. The Hebrew word for holy, kadosh, in its fundamental meaning contains the note of that which is separate or apart. God is totally other than the world and man. Right? So as Isaiah is, 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 is giving this account of what's happened, right? He's talking about the seraphim who are flying around and saying, holy, holy, holy. Theological term for that is the trisagion, meaning thrice holy, perfect in holiness, the Father holy, the Son holy, the Spirit holy, right? That's what he's describing. But we see a very similar picture if we look in Revelation chapter 4 verse 8. It says this, each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes around and inside. Day and night they never stopped saying, holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty who was who is and who is to come, right? So we see what Isaiah says, but even John, 
Further on, looking at the same picture, the same thing that's going on in the throne room of God, starting to realize how holy God is. And God is something other than us, right? We are created in His image. He has created us, right? There's the Imago Dei. But He is still very much different and separate than us. So much so that we cannot even comprehend Him. R.C. Sproul says in his book, The Holiness of God, God's holiness is more than just separateness. His holiness is also transcendent. The word transcendence means literally to climb across. It is defined as exceeding usual limits. To transcend is to rise above something, to go above and beyond a certain limit. When we speak of the transcendence of God, we are talking about that sense in which God is above and beyond us. Transcendence describes his supreme and absolute greatness. It's hard for us to understand God because as we sit here right now, we don't necessarily see the Spirit of God filling this room, right, with smoke. We don't see the train of God's robe filling our sanctuary, right? We don't see those things physically happening in front of us. And so sometimes it's hard for us to picture, okay, well, what does the glory of God look like? His holiness as it, as it relates to us. Well, we can see again other places in Scripture. If we go back to Exodus, right, what we see is that the Lord is about to reveal himself to Moses. Now, Moses, we would say he's a pretty holy dude, right? He's quoted over and over again. He's, he's credited with, with uh, writing the first five books of Scripture, right? And it says this in in verse 18, Moses has a request. He says, please let me see your glory. And so what happens is God comes and and he says, I will show you, but I'm going to put my hand over you, right? And then I'm going to remove it. And when I do, you'll see my back. And he says, but you can't look at my face because no one can look at my face and live. And when this happens... Verse 8 says that Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshipped. When Moses starts to experience God's glory, his response is to fall on his face and worship. But that's not the only place. In the book of Daniel, one of the great prophets, right, who was obedient to God no matter the cost, got thrown in a lion's den because he wouldn't stop praying, right? A pretty holy dude, we would say. When he experiences God through a vision... It says that he fell on his face and fainted because he couldn't take it in. How about the transfiguration, right? In Matthew chapter 17, we see Jesus go up on the mount and he's transfigured. And it says that his his face shone like the sun at full brightness. And Peter didn't really know what to do. And he sees Elijah and he sees Moses come out with Jesus. He doesn't really know what to do. And he's just like, Lord, this is good. This is a great thing. We should never leave. I'm going to build you a tabernacle, you a tabernacle, you a tabernacle. And you know what? We're just going to live here. But you know what? Then God comes down and he says, this is my son. Listen to him. And when they hear the voice of God, they fall on their face because they're so scared. And Jesus comes up to them and says, it's okay. Don't be scared. Later on, John experiences a very similar thing. When the Lord talks to him, he falls down on his face as if a dead man, similar to Daniel. 
People have said that when I get to heaven, I'm going to run up and I'm going to do something, right? Like, I'm going to give Jesus a hug when I first get to heaven, or I'm going to come and be like, Jesus, we're buds, give him a high five, right? And do that. It's like, that's what I'm going to do when I get to heaven. Or, I'm going to ask Jesus, Jesus, why did this happen? Why did you allow this to happen? Or why didn't you give me this? What I can tell you is that we get to heaven and we experience the glory of Jesus and the holiness that's coming from him. What's going to happen is we're going to hit our face, we're going to hit our knees, and we are going to worship God for who he is. That's what's going to happen. Philippians 2, 9-11 through 11 says this, For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we get to heaven, when we experience Jesus in perfection, our posture will be that of worship, of obeisance, of laying prostrate on the floor and saying, God, you are worthy. You are holy. That's what will happen. The holiness of God is something that we still can't comprehend. But we know that it's different from us. But what is our response to God's holiness? And that's point two. What is our response, man's response to God's holiness? Well, we can see what Isaiah says, right? This happens, the, uh, the, the angels are calling out, holy, holy, holy. He sees this, the foundations of the doorway shake at the sound of their voices and the temple's filled with smoke. And this is what Isaiah says, woe is me for I am ruined. There you go, that's his response. Woe is me for I am ruined. There's the philosophy of, of humanism. Right? And it says that basically man is good. Okay? And that we can get better and better and better if we focus in on ourselves and say we're going to get better, right? And so with, with humanism, you, you see the arts rise and you see music rise and you see technological advancements and medical advancements and all these things. And here's the deal. I'm not against these things, right? These can be very good things for our world and, and for people. Right? When it comes to medical advancements, I can go ahead and tell you that they're a good thing. Right? Back in the uh, great winter of Cape Girardeau of 2023, uh, just a couple months ago, which I know you are like, please, that was nothing. I'm like, listen, here, dude from the deep south, that was a lot for me. Okay? So, you know, and I know, I'm like, I'm not versed in these things. I need to be very careful. Right? Very careful. And so we, we go over and we're going to sled at someone's house. And, and I had these exact same shoes on, actually. Wasn't a great idea, but I did. And so, and so I'm, I'm shuffling, right? I'm shuffling through the snow because I don't want to fall. Because, you know, I'm getting old. I'm 34 years old, you know? My body just doesn't heal like it used to, right? So I'm shuffling. Just like this. Very carefully. And then, shoop, wah, pow! And I hit my knee on the curb and I'm like, ah! But then I'm like, I'm a real man. So I get up, and I'm like, I'm fine. I was like, you okay? You're, I'm like, I'm fine. I have never been better. And I'm limping, flopping around. Anyway, so you know what? I'm, I'm trying to be a man and get over it. 
But eventually, everyone's like, you should probably go to the doctor to see what's wrong with your knee. And I'm like, okay, so I do, right? And I was very appreciative. I got there, they told me what was going on. They said, here's what you need to do to help it. And it's mostly better. It just pops a lot now, but by and large, it's doing really good. And I'm very thankful for that, right? Very thankful for medical advancements. But sometimes, right, we think, well, these are all these good things. But unfortunately, in our fallen world, what happens is, is we have the good things that happen, but on the flip side, we have those things which are evil and wicked. Since 1973, what we know is that there have been 63 million children killed in the womb. 63 million. I want you to think about that number. And that happened because of medical advancements that we have. 63 million. How about eugenics? We say, well, that's kind of off topic, right? Or maybe we shouldn't touch those things. That's a bad thing, right? Well, we know that it happened. The Nazis in Germany in World War II, right? Trying to create a master race and six million Jews were slaughtered. How about technology today, whether it's cellular devices or computers or all the different ways that we can communicate, right? It's really good. I can talk to my parents, you know, a thousand miles away and we can video chat and do all these things. Really cool. But on the flip side of that, children now have access to things they should never have access to. And the average age of a child who consumes explicit sexual material is nine years old. Right, so you can always look at the good and you can say, man, but look at all these good things that have happened. And it's like, yes, but because we live in a fallen world, look at all the bad things that have taken place. Right, Jesus goes on to discuss our sins in the Beatitudes in, in Matthew chapter 5. And uh, this is, this is uh, what he talks about. He says, well, if I can get there, there we are. Uh, he, he talks about how mur murder, right, begins in the heart. And it's like, well, well, I haven't murdered anybody. I'm doing pretty good. And Jesus says this, you've heard it said that do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who's angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. He goes on, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He goes on, again, you've heard that, it's, that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all. But let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. Right? So Jesus starts going through. And he's like, you can always say, well, I didn't do all this bad stuff, you know? And he's like, hey, well, that's great, but let me tell you what you have done. And you've still sinned against a holy and righteous God. Once we start to, to experience the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, what that does is it starts to reveal the sin that's in our lives. And, our, and, and when we see that sin, our response should be, woe is me. The same thing that Isaiah said, woe is me. One time I was, I was getting dressed and I'd, I'd gone into the closet and I grabbed the shirt. I had been worn for probably six to eight months, something like that. And I really liked the shirt. It was, it was a good one. 
And, and I go to put it on, and I'm like, I don't know why I don't wear this more often. And I put it on, and, and, I, and I go to work, and I get here, and uh, I'm, I probably about half the day goes by, haven't even thought about it. I go into the restroom, and I look in the mirror, and there's this stain that literally probably goes from like here to there. Like, it is massive, a massive stain. And I'm like, these people have been letting me walk around all day looking like a putz. You know, this dude can't even wear an unstained shirt to work, right? But I was like, you know what? Under the light... Now I realize why I hadn't worn this shirt in six to eight months, and it needs to go in the trash, right, because it's ruined. But it took that light, and a dimly lit closet, when I was looking at it, I couldn't tell, right? The closer we get to Christ, the more we realize how far we are. So what do we need? We have to realize that we are broken people in desperate need of a Savior. And that's what we see, right? We see the holiness of God. We see our response to that. But then we see that number three, God purifies our sin. Isaiah says this, starting in verse six. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever touched a coal? Anyone in here? Like from a grill, anything? No? No? I have. It's hot. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. It is incredibly hot when it's, when it's on fire, right? One time it fell and it was like melting through my shoe and stuff. Right? It's, it's very hot. And, and I can tell you that when the coal was put on Isaiah's lips, it probably was not a good thing. It, like, it probably didn't feel good, rather. Right? He's probably like, you know, burning and, and hurting, right? But God is purifying him, cleansing him from his sin but there are consequences to our sin that's what the bible tells us it's very clear on that have you ever heard someone say you can't judge me only god can judge me you ever heard that i'm like and that doesn't scare you like that doesn't concern you right because ultimately god will judge us right and if and 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 then people say this they're like you know god's going to judge me but but here's the deal if If God is good, how could a good God send people to hell? And if God is love, why doesn't he save everyone? And we see in Scripture, it says, Psalm 62, verse 12, for you repay each according to his works, right? God is going to repay you for what you do. But here's what the Bible also tells us in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. That's what the Bible tells us. That's what we work really hard for, is to die. And in truth, when people ask these questions, they, they, they don't understand the holiness and the righteousness of God. R.C. Sproul talks about, again, in his book, The Holiness of God, he talks about how holiness is truly the defining character of God and the lens through which we see the rest of his characteristics, right? And I know that because of what Jesus had to do, Right? The question shouldn't be, how could a good God send people to hell? The question should be, how can a holy and righteous God allow a wretched sinner like me into heaven? That's the question. Because I know what I've done. I know the sin that's in my life. I know the wickedness that's been in my mind. And I say, God, there's no way that you should let me into heaven. That's the question. That's 
the conundrum. How does God let anybody into heaven? Because he is so holy and he is so righteous and he is so just that he cannot allow sin there. So what what does he do? He brings his son, he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth because he says, you can't pay for it. I can't allow it and you can't pay for it. There's only one way that this happens. And Jesus sins or or, or comes down, lives that perfect sinless life, and then takes your sin and my sin on his shoulders. And the holiness and the righteousness of God is bearing down on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And he stretches out his arms and he says, I love you this much. That I will die and take the wrath that you deserve. And they put him on a cross. And every drip of blood that comes out of his hands, it says, I love you. I love you. I love you. The holiness of God exemplifies why the love of God is so great. He says, there's no way that you can pay the debt that you owe. 1 Peter 3.18 says this. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. Jesus' desire is that we would come to him, that we would know him. And it's this act of mercy that makes a way for us to experience who Jesus is. We see the holiness of God. We see our response to that. We see how Jesus makes a way, purifies us of our sin. But number four, we have to look at man's response to salvation. Going back to Isaiah chapter 6. When I heard the voice of the Lord asking, who will I send? Who will go for us? I said, here am I. Send me. And he replied, go, say to these people, keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Make the minds of these people dull, deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Understand with their minds, turn back and be healed. Then I said, until when, Lord? And he replied, until cities lie in ruins without inhabitants, houses are without people. The land is ruined and desolate. And the Lord drives the people far away, leaving great emptiness in the land. Isaiah has this incredible experience with God. And he says, yes, Lord, I will go. But he didn't even know the mission yet. And God says, go preach to these people, but they're not going to listen. And Isaiah says, until when? The Lord says, until everything's been destroyed and is gone. Is your view of God so great that you say, yes, Lord, I'll obey you before I even know what you're asking me to do? 
Or do you say, God, you know, I really want to see some good fruit from this. So if I'm going to obey you, I need to see good things happening, right? If I do this for you, you do this for me. What is your view of God? Because I can tell you there's a lot of times where I've been serving the Lord and I'm like, Lord, this is fine, but I need you to, to bless me. Like, I need you to do something good for me. We can see John, the Baptist, right? who came and, and he served the Lord faithfully. One of the final prophets that we see, kind of an Old Testament prophet right there in the New Testament. And he's obedient to God and he's preparing the way for Jesus. And, and when he sees Jesus, he says, here's the Lamb of God, right? But, but John's disciples come back to him a little bit later and they're like, hey, John, Jesus is stealing all your disciples. Like, aren't you concerned about this? And John's answer is, he must increase and I must decrease. John knew why he was there and was obedient. And on this earth, how was John uh, rewarded? He was beheaded. That's what we know. He was obedient to the end, not knowing what the end would look like. We should be praying. We should be living in such a way that we say, Lord, may you increase in my, my, in my life, and may I decrease. There was a young man from Scotland who, who deeply loved the Lord, and he wanted to serve him. And so he attended a small Bible college, and, and after sensing God's call to ministry, uh, he, he, he goes there to learn how to be a minister. After he graduates, he ends up preaching the gospel in England and in Ireland and the U.S. and even in Japan. But his ministry, we would say, is kind of muted, right? Not a lot that happens there. He, didn't, he never received much notoriety, no fame, anything like that. And this was in the, the early 1900s, late 1800s when this was happening. And he marries a young lady and uh, ends up having a daughter, and, and he continues to minister. Eventually, he believes the Lord is calling him and his family to serve as a chaplain in the deserts of Egypt in World War I. And so he begins his ministry in 1915, and, and he preaches for over two years to just a very small group of people that show up for his, for his messages. And he preaches, and he's, and he's faithful to what God has called him to do. But near the end of 1917, this minister dies at the age of 43. Years go by, and nothing really happens. No one really knows about him. No one knows what his life entailed. But his wife starts to get his messages and starts to put them together and to compile them out of the shorthand that she'd taken from all his different messages. And she puts them together in a book. And she eventually gives this book to a publisher about 10 years later. And they publish it. And the book comes out and it's titled, My Utmost for His Highest. Written by Oswald Chambers. The book went on to become one of the best-selling devotionals of all time and continues to impact believers today. Oswald Chambers had no idea of any impact that he would make. He died in a desert in Egypt with very few people around him. And that's what he knew. But God had great plans for the ministry that had taken place there. And that may not happen to any of us. But what it shows us is that God 
calls us to be faithful, and we leave the results to him, regardless of what that looks like. And ultimately, we should say, I would rather be faithful in a desert than to be popular and famous in a city. Who's getting the glory? If we see God as holy and righteous and just and loving, then we must be willing to say, God, you receive glory, honor, and praise. May you increase. May I decrease. So my questions here for you today are, number one, do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Have you experienced the Jesus that we've discussed this morning? Because if you haven't, then I want to invite you to come down in just a few minutes and say, I want to know this Jesus. I want to experience him. If you don't come down, you can always go to our next steps area out in the, out in the foyer. One of our volunteers will be happy to talk to you there. But my prayer this morning is that no one would leave this place this morning without knowing Jesus. But number two, if you know Jesus, are you following him in obedience? Regardless of the outcome. Have you surrendered to Christ every part of your life? Or do you say, no, God, I'll keep some of these over here, but I'll give you this. You can have this part, but I'm, I'm going to keep this over here. Because Christ calls us to fully surrender to him. My prayer is that you would serve God, serve him faithfully but leave the results to him. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful for who you are, for all that you've done. We're so thankful that you are a holy and righteous God. And Lord, that seems like bad news when we consider that we deserve hell because of our sin and because you're so holy. But Lord, instead what that does is that shows us how great your mercy and your love is for us. That you would come down and die for our sins, that we might know you and have forgiveness. Jesus, if we do know you, then you call us to share the light of Jesus Christ in the world with all those we come in contact with. Father, may we be faithful, regardless of what's going on. May we be obedient, not knowing the outcome, but God, as Isaiah said, here I am, send me. May you continue to work in our hearts and in our lives today. May we be obedient to you. We love you. We thank you for all that you're doing. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.